This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 4260, for Friday, the 29th of November 2024. Today's show is entitled The Golden Age. It is part of the series Science Fiction and Fantasy. It is hosted by Ahu Khan and is about 16 minutes long. It carries a clean flag. The summary is a look at the early history of science fiction. Hello, this is Ahuka, welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode, this time in our new series on science fiction and fantasy. And what I want to talk about today is something that we refer to as the golden age of science fiction, but I, I want to lead up to that with a little bit of history as well. Um, now, you know, where does science fiction come from? I, I have seen people argue that you can go as far back <laughs> as the Sumerian story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu, though I would argue that mythology should more properly be considered fantasy. Then Lucian of Samosata, uh, Samosata, sorry, get that pronounced properly, whose dates are rather estimated, probably born somewhere around 125 AD and died sometime after 180 AD. But he wrote a book that is often called the first science fiction novel called A True Story, though in many ways it is more a satire on people who tell tall tales. It does include outer space, aliens, and interplanetary warfare. But generally recognized as the first science fiction story is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. This is, of course, the story about a scientist named Victor Frankenstein who creates a living and intelligent person by rather unorthodox means. And, of course, this person is not named Frankenstein at all. He is simply the creature. But it is an interesting story that does not bear much resemblance to the movies that were made. Um, then came two writers who, more than anyone, made science fiction a recognized genre of literature. And the first of these, Jules Verne, 1828-1905, um, was a French author of seminal works such as Journey to the Center of the Earth, 1864, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, 1870, and Around the World in 80 Days, 1872. Now, his novels were set in the time they were written and used technology that either existed or could be reasonably extrapolated, making them true science fiction in a way that Frankenstein arguably was not. Now, the other early master was H.G. Wells, 1866-1946, who wrote a number of science fiction novels, including The Time Machine, 1895, The Island of Dr. Moreau, 1896, The Invisible Man, 1897, and The War of the Worlds in 1898. Now, Wells was more of a futurist, um, so unlike Verne, who set all of his stories in sort of the, the time they were written, you know, he set his more in a, a future. Uh, and the other thing about Wells was he was a committed socialist and that shows up in his works. 
Then in America, there was a fellow named Edward Bellamy who wrote a very influential novel called Looking Backward, which was one of the largest selling novels published in America at that time and also reflected a strong socialist philosophy. Now we come to Hugo Gernsback and the Pulps. Um, as the 19th century turned into the 20th century and inventors like Edison, Tesla, and Marconi were creating a new world, it should not be surprising that many people were inspired to write about the possibilities of science and technology and how they might change the world. Now, one of the first was Hugo Gernsback. 1884 to 1967. Uh, he was initially attracted to radio. He founded a radio station, WRNY, in New York. Uh, he also created the magazine Modern Electrics in 1908, The Electrical Experimenter in 1913, and Radio News in 1919. Uh, these were primarily science and technology publications, but he began to include stories including one of his own called Ralph 124C41. Now this was spelled out, number one, number two, number four, capital C, number four, number one. But when you say it, 124C41, you see it's a, a clever title. Then in 1926, he started the first science fiction magazine called Amazing Stories. Uh, this magazine was followed by others, and they are collectively referred to as pulps due to the low quality of the paper. And the pulps were not just science fiction. There were also Western and detective pulp magazines. What they had in common is that they were cheap to produce and could therefore be sold cheaply. And the low rates paid to writers also made them cheap in every sense of the word. Now, Hugo Gernsback was certainly one to employ sharp business practices. But because of his pivotal role, the annual awards voted on by fans are to this day called the Hugo Awards. And that gets us to the Golden Age. And that starts with a fellow named John W. Campbell, 1910 to 1971. Now, he was initially a writer of science fiction. Uh, for instance, his novella, Who Goes There?, which he wrote in 1938, has been adapted for film three times under the name The Thing. And chances are many of the people listening to this have seen that movie, The Thing, and never knew exactly where it came from, but it was John W. Campbell. But his real significance derives from his role as editor of Astounding Science Fiction. Now, <clears throat> that was later renamed to Analog Science Fiction and Fact, and that was founded in 1937. And during his time at the helm, um, and in particular during the first decade of his editorship, he nurtured many of the best-known writers of the time, so that this first decade is referred to as the Golden Age. We'll call that roughly 1939 to 1950. Now, his finds included authors like Lester Del Rey, Isaac Asimov, Theodore Sturgeon, Robert A. Heinlein, and A. E. Van Vogt. When he became editor, he basically stopped his own writing in favor of developing other authors. Uh, this is not a bad thing. I've read a number of his novels. It is fair to say they do not measure up to the work of the above authors he helped to develop. 
As an example, in one novel, he has aliens arrive who come from the star Sirius. And Sirius is sometimes called the dog star. So, of course, his aliens are distinctly canine in appearance. And you simply cannot imagine authors like Heinlein or Asimov doing anything of the sort. Other writers he helped to develop included L. Ron Hubbard, Clifford Simak, Jack Williamson, and L. Sprague de Camp. Now, Isaac Asimov had this to say about Campbell. By his own example, and by his instruction, and by his undeviating and persisting insistence, he first forced uh, astounding and then all science fiction into his mold. He abandoned the earlier orientation of the field. He demolished the stock characters who had filled it, eradicated the penny-dreadful plots, extirpated the Sunday supplement science. In a phrase, he blotted out the purple of the pulp. Instead, he demanded that science fiction writers understand science and understand people, a hard requirement that many of the established writers of the 1930s could not meet. Campbell did not compromise because of that. Those who could not meet his requirements could not sell to him. And the carnage was as great as it had been in Hollywood a decade before, when silent movies had given way to the talkies. Now, it's worth mentioning in passing, Campbell went to MIT. So he had a, a good technical background. So that was the, the basis of the Golden Age. Now, one of the things that really takes off here, and we want to look at this, is the whole idea of fandom. Now, the Golden Age was also when science fiction fandom really developed. Uh, you can read more about this, for instance, in Isaac Asimov's autobiography, In Memory at Green, which records not only his earlier experiences in fandom, but also his early relationship with John W. Campbell. And Frederick Pohl, uh, and that's spelled P-O-H-L, um, wrote a nice history of his experiences in fandom called The Way the Future Was. Pohl went on to become a writer, an editor, and a literary agent. And I enjoyed reading his blog right up until he died in 2013. But the biggest fandom development in this time was to start conventions. Now, there are many of them now, some devoted to specific properties like Doctor Who or Star Trek, others more general. But the granddaddy of them all is the World Science Fiction Convention, usually abbreviated as Worldcon. Now, the first of these was held in New York City in 1939 in conjunction with the World's Fair. And the World's Fair had a theme of the world of tomorrow. So kind of appropriate. Um, also appropriate, of course, is that they had a controversy at the very first Worldcon when a group of fans, including Frederick Pohl, was specifically not invited. Uh, but you can read more about it in the book mentioned above. Um, now, among the guests were John W. Campbell, Isaac Asimov, L. Sprague de Camp, Ray Bradbury, Jack Williamson, and Harry Harrison. Now, the Worldcon would go on to be an annual event, except for the years 1942 to 1945, when World War II kind of preempted it. 
In the early years, it was always held in the United States, but eventually it started to live up to its name and move to other countries. The 2023 Worldcon, for instance, was held in Chengdu, China. Now, in years where the Worldcon is outside of North America, there is another convention called the North American Science Fiction Convention, or NASFIC. Um, I attended the 11th NASFIC, which was called DETCON 1 in Detroit, Michigan in 2014. Now, Worldcon is owned by the World Science Fiction Society, WSFS, which has an interesting membership. Basically, each person who purchases a ticket to a Worldcon becomes a member with voting privileges. And the main voting issues are to select the winners of the Hugo Awards and to select the site of Worldcon two years later. Now, because organizing one of these Worldcons is such a major task, you have to allow the committee that does that two years to pull it together. So, the 2023 Chengdu Worldcon selected Seattle, Washington as the site of the 2025 Worldcon, while the 2022 Chicago Worldcon selected Glasgow, Scotland as the site of the 2024 Worldcon. Now, there has been controversy, of course, because science fiction fans don't agree on everything, and the Hugo Awards is one area where this has showed up. These uh, awards are voted on by the fans who attend Worldcon, and this has been the case since the Hugo Awards were created back in 1953. But in 2013, an author named Larry Correa formed a group called Sad Puppies to try and get one of his novels a Hugo Award. It started as a voting block, then became a slate of suggested nominations. Then a more radical offshoot called Rabid Puppies was formed. Now, these groups did succeed in getting a number of works nominated and even swept the nominations in two categories. The result was that the voting members decided to vote for no award in both of those categories. The campaign sputtered on for several more years, and then the World Science Fiction Society modified the voting rules to prevent block voting, and that was the end of it. Then in 2023, the Chengdu Worldcon ruled that a number of prominent works that had won other awards and should have been considered were ineligible. At first, it was thought that the Chinese government had put pressure on the organizers. But then it came out that this was more of a self-censorship by some of the people on the organizing committee. They have been dismissed and will probably never again be involved with the World Science Fiction Society, that would be my guess. And I suspect that the Glasgow Worldcon, which is the, as I record this, is the next one coming up, will probably implement some changes. Um, and if not, definitely by Seattle. Now, in addition to the Worldcon, there are many local conventions. Among the ones I know are DragonCon, which is held in Atlanta, Georgia, and Boscone, which is held in Boston, Massachusetts. And of course, near and dear to my heart is Penguicon here in the Detroit metro area. Uh, I've recorded uh, a number of um, episodes of Hacker Public Radio talking about what went on at Penguicon. Uh, I was on the staff of this convention for a few years 
and you know it's still a favorite of mine it's unusual because it combines all of the science fiction with free and open source software which is where the penguin part comes in uh, you can usually find me attending that each year so this is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio signing off and as always encouraging you to support free software. Bye bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.